Uh, so today's reading is from Luke 12:54 to 13:9. Let's wait a few seconds for you guys. When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and the earth, but why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also, until I dig around and fertilise it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. Thanks, Gerda and Michael. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. No pink socks, I'm sorry. Uh, but you're all looking like you've had a holiday, maybe been at the beach a bit. Um, nice hot weather yesterday, so it's a bit nicer this morning after a hot night. Um, you might be in the midst of holidays. Right. Let me tell you a true story about a 10-year-old girl who was on her family holiday. Uh, and this is... Tilly Smith. She's a fourth grader from England uh, who was staying by the beach in Thailand. And one morning, she and her family were out for a walk and Tilly noticed something unusual about the water. It was frothing and bubbling as each wave came in and then petered back out again. And she remembered a science lesson that she'd had just a few weeks beforehand at school. And then the boats on the horizon started to bob up and down. And so she told her parents uh, that there was about to be a tidal wave and she knew that to be called a tsunami. And then the water at first, uh, but Tilly didn't give in, she sat down and insisted on it. Mum, I've just learnt this in geography at school, you need to listen. Uh, her dad was kind of convinced and so what he did was went to a security guard uh, at the resort and he used the word tsunami. And nearby, there was a uh, went and had a look and then ran. And then it got serious. Uh, Tilly's mum started running. And the people remaining on the beach were all warned. And everyone there, about 100 or so people, 
fled to higher ground with just moments to spare. The family looked up as a wall of water uh, came towards them and they made it to the second storey of the hotel. And everyone on the resort beach that day was saved, all because Tilly listened to her teacher at school. <laughs> now, that was Boxing Day in 2004. As a great example of reading the signs, and Tilly had attributed her teacher for helping her learn all about how to read the sea and know when to respond. And that day was really a great tragedy. Tens of thousands of people perished who didn't see the warning signs, who didn't know what was coming. And there are many events like it that you can probably recall, particularly this time of year, as we face fires and floods year after year. Or there might be acts of human atrocity, too, that come to mind. Uh, it used to be on the 6 o'clock news, but these days it's, it's just 24-7 on your phone. The, the news is just full of disaster upon disaster. And then there's the conjecture about it. Uh, beyond asking who's responsible for all the warnings or the clean-up, you get the why. Why did this happen? And then you'll get those who ask, how did God allow this? Or what did those victims do to bring it on, to deserve such a disaster? Is this God's judgment upon them? Well, this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus answers some of those questions here in this passage in Luke. Uh, if you have your Bible open, that would be really helpful for you and me. Uh, there's, it's on the sermon outline as well. Uh, feel free to... Grab more, there should be more up the back. So we need to understand the times. Before we get to the headline news, uh, Jesus starts talking about the weather. Uh, and so the weather comes first. Right away you say, a storm is coming. And so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. Now after nine years in Melbourne, I still cannot tell you what the weather is going to do. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's the thing. That's the weather in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, a cloud rising in the west of Palestine, rain when it hits the land. Uh, for us, I think it's mostly the north wind, like yesterday, uh, that blows hot air in from inland. Uh, and then it's a south wind that uh, brings the cooler change. Uh, if you live and work mostly indoors, uh, you might not pay too much attention to the weather. Uh, but for the people that Jesus was talking to, it could alter their very lives, uh, their income was at stake and their livelihoods. And they were far more connected uh, to what was grown for food. You know, in Australia, if there's a cyclone in one part, uh, you can usually source food elsewhere from another. So, you know, banana pr prices might skyrocket for a bit, but we can still buy It wasn't possible. They were entirely dependent on the weather and it was crucial to be able to interpret the clouds and the wind, and that would, not, that, would, that would set their daily schedule, and it would affect their livelihood. And you see, Jesus is pretty strong here. He rebukes them. Verse 56, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the, sky, the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? They're great at reading the weather, but they miss what's happening right in front of them, what God is doing right then and there in front of their very eyes. 
They were able to know what affected them physically, but not spiritually. I think the modern equivalent would be like reading the stock market or the cryptocurrency trends. Uh, People who understand all of that, which I don't, uh, they seem to know how to rescue their wealth. But I wonder if they fail to see Jesus as the far greater threat to their uh, existence and to find a relationship with God through him. And so can I ask you, are you caught up with the only the physical, material world? Do you need to deal with the spiritual world? Jesus wants them to interpret this present time. Uh, the term he uses there is a Greek word, kairos, uh, which means God's time. Uh, it's different to another term, chronos, uh, that's usually to do with a period of time, what your watch or your calendar says. Uh, but kairos is really associated with time to repent. And that's what we're going to look at. Chronos is also used of the period at the end when time is up. And then Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the, for the fact that he will return one day. So he's used that. But this kairos time is this special time. It's a limited opportunity, a favourable moment. It's time for seeking God and time for finding his mercy and grace before it's too late. Uh, Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Turn to the Lord and find his mercy. God's sense of time is different to ours. His perspective is perfect. And what he's done is he's given an opportunity for repentance. So for the crowd here, Jesus walks among them. God came in the flesh, but they're not able to see the significance of it. They can see the weather and know what to do, but they're blind to what God is doing through his son. In a sense, they could discern the sky, but they couldn't discern the heavens. In fact, they've ignored the very centre of human history, the one standing in front of them who is from heaven in the person of Jesus. So that's the situation. Jesus wants them to understand the time. And for you and me too, we need to know something of God's timeline. While we're in this time, there is still opportunity. We're in a time of God's mercy as the gospel is offered to all, pink socks or not, to all who have ears to hear it. What what then does Jesus urge them to do? Have a look at verse 57. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Here's the issue. What needs to happen? Well, he uses a short story to explain this. So have a look at it. Have a look at the legal language that's involved here. So verse 58. As you're going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into prison. (laughs) I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Bailiff and then prison. It seems to be a clear-cut criminal case. And Jesus has been teaching his followers to be ready for this coming judgment. There will be a day when he will return as judge. And the process here seems really quite clear. You will be accountable to the judge, and if something doesn't interrupt, and 
how can we avoid that seemingly inevitable, inevitable process? Well, the answer is right there. We need to settle along the way. More literally, we need to be reconciled along the way. Before it comes to all of that, do business with him right now. I don't know about you, but if you haven't been, now is the time. Before it is too late, come to Jesus who can deal with this immense problem for you. He's already talked about his road to the cross in this chapter. He calls it his baptism back in verse 50. See, at the cross, Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. And on behalf, there is nothing you can do to account for your sin. Only Jesus can take it away. A moral life won't work. Just trying to be good will not cut it with God. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's what you contribute. Only Jesus makes it possible to be reconciled with God. Are you reconciled with him? Without Jesus, you will face the consequences of your sin on your own. That's a terrifying concept. Why why not be reconciled along the way? Let's read this again, just to let this sink in. Make an effort to settle with him along the way. Then he won't drag you for the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. Now, we need to be very careful with Jesus' words, particularly in parables. This parable is, is meant to encourage us to be reconciled, and it's a warning, and it's meant to help. Warnings are really helpful. Uh, when we were up in Port Douglas just a few years ago, our kids were at a playground that was next to a beach. When they finished lunch, uh, they asked if they could go and paddle in the water just with their shoes off, just for a few minutes. I, I sat and finished my lunch, that was fine. And then I stood up and I noticed this sign uh, by the beach, right next to the playground. Warning, crocodiles. That's my biggest parenting fail ever. Uh, only in Queensland do you find a playground next to a crocodile-infested beach. <laughs> Uh, And I was mad with myself, if I'm honest, for missing lighting the sign around the corner. Uh, But some people I meet are really angry about the whole idea of judgment. How can God be like that? It's not fair. How could it be that way? Well, getting cross at it doesn't change anything. God's judgment is perfectly fair. It would be really silly of me to get cross at the sign. Uh, The warning we get from Jesus is gracious... He warns us about what is to come and what you need to do is heed the warning. Only Jesus will bring you into a right relationship with your heavenly Father who loves you. So turn and be reconciled before it's too late. Well, next we come to a discussion about the headline. At the start of chapter 13, some people come to Jesus about what they've been watching on the 6 o'clock news that night. The Galileans, whose pilot Uh, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That's really gory stuff, isn't it? I used to seek that sort of thing out in the Bible as a kid. Uh, Just fascination for me. Uh, There's been an act of political atrocity. People visiting from Galilee 
were going about their religious service at the temple and they were slaughtered by the Roman provisional governor. That's the same Pilate who eventually tried Jesus. He has blood on his hands. Absolutely. How could that happen, Jesus? Bastion, isn't that helpful? Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? See, do those who suffer like that deserve it more? In 2011, after the Japanese earthquake and then tsunami, the Tokyo governor at the time said it was an act of tenbatsu, divine judgment for the wickedness of the Japanese people. And after the Black Saturday fires, I remember one man claimed that it was God's judgment on Victoria for a decision that was made in Parliament. Uh, I probably don't need to go into all the details of that. You might have heard those ideas before. Uh, the floods are sometimes bringing about the same sort of commentaries. Sure, questions are asked about why, but the other thing that happens when disasters strike, suddenly this blame game starts. What have they done? How have they sinned against God that's caused him to strike them down? Well, back in our passage, Jesus is emphatic with his answer. And this is really important. In verse 3 and 5, Jesus says really a very strong no. No, I tell you. Is it because these people are worse than you or me? No. And he adds another story too. What about this one? What about Monday's headlines? Uh, verse 4, those 18 that the Tower, of so the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? What about this industrial accident? <laughs> were they somehow more guilty? Another emphatic response, I tell you, no. You can't say that. You can't go around comparing people like that, not because they're not sinful, but because we're all sinful. There isn't an us and them. You cannot point the finger and think that you're okay and they're not. Whether you live in Galilee or Jerusalem or Scoresby, you can't say that you're somehow different Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. We are all in the same boat and all deserving of God's wrath. Uh, there's what we think about these things and then there's Jesus' perspective. Whether it's an act of political atrocity or a seemingly random workplace accident, we don't always know why. Uh, it, we, we can't go around saying that we're any better that's what he's saying. And Jesus tells us the perspective we need to have, the right response, and look at his repetition again, verse 3 and 5. Unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So we should note who Jesus is talking to. It's those who have heard this news about what's happened. They're not immediately involved. And I actually think if that was the case, it would be an altogether different conversation. Uh, Jesus' compassion shows in the midst of tragedies. Uh, Luke is really careful to report those in his gospel. Uh, so you could read on and read how Jesus heals a disabled woman in the very next story in this chapter. But here, he's talking about those who hear about such reports. How do we respond to the news? What should we think about it all? Well, I have friends that are atheists, 
and they would say that it's simply all mathematical. The answer to the trouble with the world, it's all just chance and random. It's a wonderful place, but it's all just blind, pitiless indifference. And I find that answer utterly uncompelling. There's no answer at all. The problem of evil and suffering and natural disasters isn't answered by evolutionary theory. You won't find hope there. Nor, ironically, will you find much logic. It cannot answer the problems that we... All the questions that you might have here in this passage. But I found the only answers that can make sense of the world we live is what you find in all of Scripture, as God reveals to us the place that we live in and his purposes for it. This tells us we are not a statistical anomaly. You and I are created beings. Uh, that, that is probably the answer to lots of questions. But the, Romans 8 tells us the world isn't right. And since Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, sin took hold of God's good world and corrupted it. The creation groans because of that. And the world we live in awaits a great restoration. One day now, Jesus wants repentance. It's the right response to what we see in the world around us. It is not moral reform or even simply feeling sorry for what you've done. Repentance is really about a change of allegiance. It's turning around, absolutely, turning from the world of sin and coming into the eternal kingdom of God. Teams top on as well, not just simply running with your own team's direction. It's playing for the other side. It's the core of Jesus' gospel message, to turn and believe. And so there's these two passages to have a look at. Luke 5, he says, why he didn't come. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then he tells his disciples later on, after his resurrection, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That is to be our core gospel presentation. Not just facts of history to be told and then left aside. You and I must repent to turn and come to Jesus. That is to be our posture. It is more than just about the beginning of the Christian life. The Christian life is one of repentance itself. It is a daily battle. Am I clinging to myself or to my saviour? Am I reliant on my own strength? Or do I recognise my desperate and constant need for forgiveness and his grace that is available here and now. Well, then verse 6, uh, Jesus then tells this other parable uh, to bring, a, bring these ideas together. Repent and soon. Let's have a look at it. Verse 6. He told this parable, a man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for it and found none for fruit on it. And he told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilise it. You can cut it down. Now, we've had a fig tree in our backyard before, and that's actually a photo of it. I would certainly contemplate removing it to put a vineyard in. Uh, but for those listening, they would know straight away 
what Jesus is talking about. See, the fig and the vine are symbols for Israel, the people of Israel. Then, in this story, the people of Israel had failed to bear fruit after a long time. So something drastic needs to come. Uh, If this was a suburb of Melbourne, I suspect this guy would need a permit, an arborist assessment, uh, you need permission from the local council. A few of you nodding your heads. You've been down that road. Before you can chop a tree, it tells of an owner and a gardener. But we've got to be careful here that we don't uh, take this as some disagreement between the members of the Godhead. It's a parable... And we need to be careful about taking any analogy in a parable too far. Three years just represents adequate time for this tree to fruit. Three seasons. And the result of fruitlessness is this threat of removal. Why should it use up the soil? It's using up space. And the threat to cut it down is just firstly the direct result of not bearing any fruit. So it actually deserves the judgment. God's judgment and his mercy are on view here. For that tree to respond to being fertilised. Again, you can't pit Jesus against his father or something like that. That would be taking it way too far. The point is really is that there's been time given for a better outcome. Time for good compost to do its work. Time for some better conditions for the tree to actually respond. I don't really know much about gardening, but I know that mulching and watering seems to make things grow. Uh, Trees are often planted in terrible places. You drive past them all the time where their roots are covered by the pavement. But they still can do okay if the council actually waters them and they get fed. See, Jesus gave Israel their opportunity. And that applies to you and me too. You and I are just like this tree. We need some time with the water and the fertilising of the gospel to do its work in us before we produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So you don't produce fruit until you've turned. But there is limited time in this. We need to repent before it's too late. A great passage in 2 Peter uh, from chapter 3 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, And later on he says that the Lord's patience means salvation. There is mercy, there is kairos time, and there is a big warning. There will be a reckoning, and it is coming soon. And the world is sometimes really difficult to understand, whether it's acts of terrorism or natural disasters. We have so many questions. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that the suffering and pain are God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, what is God saying to you when you watch the news? See, Jesus doesn't pretend to answer every question, uh, but he uses those situations to warn you about where you stand with him. Turn your eyes to Jesus and the things of earth will grow dim through the light of his glory and grace. Just like 10-year-old Tilly, you and I need to respond to the world around us by coming to the only one who can make sense of it. So right now is the time to repent.
Would you pray with me?